Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show, spoiler free. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I'm probably talking about movies on my other podcast, Pop Culturally Deprived. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about Discovery of Witches, I'm usually talking about uh, his dark materials on my other podcast, Measures of Truth. Each week here, we'll recap the episode spoiler-free. We also include a segment at the end to discuss the books, how well the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers here. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get there. Episode 3 was written by Polly Buckle and directed by Philippa Langdale. And once again, I'm so happy to see so many women. Yes. Philippa Langdale has directed two of the three? Or has she directed all three? I... No, because uh, good name, Farron uh, Blackburn was a director. That's right. Okay, so that was the first one. So Philippa's done episode two and three. That's awesome. Polly Buckle, cool, cool. also fabulous name. Fabulous name. So this week, the cold open brings us back to present day and everybody's favorite asshole, Domenico. <laughs> I like that. Everybody's favorite asshole. I'm, I don't know that he's my favorite asshole. I think that's probably Kit, but... I was just going to say, actually, this season it's probably Kit, but last season. How about favorite present day Yes, asshole? yes, yes. Okay. Uh, so, and Domenico is investigating another murder that is, ooh, gruesome. Yes, super gruesome. They kind of don't hold anything back in the violence this year, at least how they portray the dead, at least. I like it. Although I've spent all my time waiting for the rest of um, Discovery of Witches by watching crime shows. So maybe I'm just used to death now. Fair enough. I have recent. this is completely unrelated to Discovery of Witches, but I've recently started watching the TV show Hannibal, mm. which is a little much sometimes. I've, n- I've never watched that, but uh, I do like Brian Fuller does good stuff. Mads Mikkelsen is an amazing Hannibal lector. I've... I've Basically, everyone I know loves that show, so I have heard. All right, back to... Uh... Yeah, so back to <laughs> what we're actually talking about here. Discovery of Witches. Uh, after the opening credits, we're back to 1590 and Matthew being riddled with guilt, which I actually really like because, A, I feel like a dark, brooding, romantic vampire being riddled with guilt is kind of a trope. Right. But Matthew's guilt has so much more going on with it than I drink blood from people and accidentally kill them. Just because his life is so much more complicated, which I think is more mm-hmm. accurate to how a centuries-old being would be. So where sometimes I find in, in a lot of vampire fiction, the dark, broody, guilt-ridden vampire is always kind of boring. I don't feel mm-hmm. that way with Matthew at all. Well, that's because Matthew... His, he's not guilt-ridden by nature. Like, his whole life isn't just him brooding and feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, say, with Angel, yeah. right? And and so here, he's legitimately full of remorse for killing Tom in the last episode, even though he had no choice. Yeah. And I think it's it's a wonderful introduction to the rest of the scene is having him praying in his little Catholic room. You his know, Catholic kind of asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Oh, Catholic attic. I like that. Um, that directly leads into the scene with Father Hubbard where he's asking Father Hubbard for forgiveness because not only are we seeing the ramifications of his guilt, but we're seeing how the changes that have happened in Matthew over the centuries are being noticed. Yes. Here in 1590. Yes. And I really, really love this scene with Hubbard and how he comes to see that Matthew is indeed a changed man. Right. Like, he's shocked. He's utterly shocked that Matthew is contrite and remorseful and asks 
Father Hubbard for forgiveness because the Matthew of 1590 would never have done that. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if Father Hubbard regrets sending his letter to Philippe at the end of the last episode. Hubbard doesn't strike me as the type of man with regrets. Okay, that is a fair, fair point. I don't know. Maybe he does, but or at least we don't ever really know him well enough. Oh, oh. And so I was really excited about the next scene, apparently. Um, I am also really excited about the next yeah. scene. So then cut back to Diana and Jack, who are adorable. And I every scene with Jack is adorable. Yes, are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> that that child actor is fabulous. I forget his name, but he's so good. He, he's got like these puppy dog eyes basically in every mm-hmm. scene. And it's so good. Yeah, it's perfect, especially since. OK, so this is a, a tiny thing from the book. But in the book, we get to know Jack so much more than we see him in the show. Mm-hmm. And casting the actor the way that they did makes it so easy to see why Diana and Matthew have fallen in love with him, even though we're not getting all of those moments. Yeah. And so it's just, it's so easy to accept him as having come into their family just because when I see him on the screen, I just want to hug him and love him and take care of him. Agreed. Yes. And that that's sort of the privilege that television or film has over books that you can just look at someone and know things about them. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Now he's only on screen for a few seconds here because this scene just gives us a vehicle to love Jack and have an invitation come to Diana. Yes. That's it. It's like 10 seconds long. But it's a good scene. I, honestly, so far, I think this is my favorite episode. And that's because every scene, even the small ones, are doing something. Yeah, there are a lot of quick cuts in this. Mm-hmm. Like, we, it's a lot of back and forth between different places. But you're right. They None of the small, tiny scenes are there for no reason except for maybe one of them, and we'll talk about it when we get there, and maybe you can tell me why it matters. Sure. I will say, like, in, I think it was the previous episode, there was a lot of scenes of, like, Matthew walking, which, like, don't get me wrong, I appreciate, especially when he's got the hat and the cape, but still, I'm like, he's just walking, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, they needed to give us the hat and the cape, so. It's true. I'm not complaining about that. No, I'm not complaining, but I'm saying this episode (laughs) doesn't have anything like that. No. No, there's a lot in this episode. So yeah, uh, Diana received an invitation from Mary Sidney, and she goes to Mary's amazing lab to perform experiments. I I love this small scene with them, but I do wish we'd gotten more of Diana doing alchemy. Mm -hmm. Because I know, because like that's what she's spent her life, well, spent a good chunk of her life studying, and I wish we'd just gotten to see her do a full experiment. Mm Because you do in the book, you get to see her do some fun experiments with Mary Sidney and that's all. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they found a way to incorporate it in. Yes. Um, because they they could have honestly left Mary Sydney out and like had all of these things that happened because of Mary Sydney happen a different way. True. Um, but I'm glad they included her. And I mean, this scene is really just a vehicle for us to find out that she might know who has the book. Mm-hmm. So again, it's another very quick scene. It is a very quick scene. And again, I'm also glad that they didn't cut out Mary Sydney, because it gives somebody who's there to be on Diana's side. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the other characters, like Kit and everybody else that we meet, basically has a connection to Matthew. And I like that there's just this high up person, like a countess, you know, who's friends with Diana and meh about Matthew. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and then in the great uh, tradition of this episode, we quickly cut to a new scene with John D. Who everybody loves. 
John Dee is a actual historical figure, as most of the characters that we meet here. And he was the court astronomer and advisor to Elizabeth I. He was super into alchemy and philosophy and a bunch of other things and was rumored to also be a spy for Elizabeth because he like spent a lot of time traveling around Europe studying. Hmm. Quick side hmm. note. In my notes, I wrote that he was an astrologer, not an astronomer. <laughs> oh, no. According to Wikipedia, he was both. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Maybe they did say astrologer in the show then. Did. I can't remember. I, that's just interesting. Yes. But uh, unfortunately, he sort of ended up living in poverty and nobody knows uh, like where he is now. We don't know how he died or where he ended up after he died. Well, that's kind of sad to go from having such a high station and having the ear of the queen to dying in obscurity. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, despite what Queen Elizabeth says in this episode, she does not live forever, and the next ruler had no interest in him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry to bring things down, I guess. Yeah, that's a bummer. But you know it's not a bummer? Uh, Dr. D's library. Yes. It is huge. I love how you can see Diana's eyes just light up, and she's like, oh... <laughs> Yep. And Matthew sees it too. He goes, I'm going to have a hell of a time getting you out of yes, here. It's... And I'm just like, yep. <laughs> uh, so Diana does bring our attention to like a little amulet with a very complicated design on it, which is called the <laughs> Latin Sigillum Dei. Sure. Which is, again, an actual thing, which is supposed to be a symbol of the living God and supposed to make it so that you could communicate with angels and stuff yeah th i mean that's how dr d described it and i i thought it was such an odd note and i wonder if it's just because they were trying to put in as many actual historical references as they could because it didn't seem to have anything to do with the story i agree does it matter later not that i'm aware of but it's i guess it's okay. an interesting what i would say is that it introduces the idea of um whatever john d and therefore his previous scribe, uh, Edward Kelly, were studying, was about trying to read and communicate with God. And it also reinforces the fact that Diana is very well-versed in this time period. Yes. Because she recognized it on site. Mm -hmm. um, then Diana takes uh, the time to explore the library. She's looking for the book while Matthew kind of distracts Dr. D. Although I'm not sure why, because she got permission to explore, but I thought that was cute. The new squire comes and asks Diana what she's looking for, and he immediately knows what book she's talking about. And, you know, Dr. D has a book that's just like that, which is really, really exciting. Uh, apparently, he acquired it from Mad Emperor Rudolph. Um, unfortunately, when they go to look for it, they realize it is missing because, of course, it is. Nothing is that easy. Yeah. Did you find this squire dude, like, very creepy? Yes. I think it was the camera angles more than anything. And maybe the music, but I was just like, why are we doing this? I don't want to be in a room with this guy. <laughs> creepy. But he wasn't creepy. I mean, he really, you know, he had information for her and he wanted to help her find what she was looking for. True. It was, it was all fine. Um, it turns out that Edward Kelly switched out the book with another one so that he could keep it while he stayed with Emperor Rudolph. So close. So close. But we do find out that it is in Bohemia mm -hmm. and... I did a little bit of looking into where Bohemia actually is. And Bohemia is this area in Europe that has changed a lot throughout history with wars and blah, 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 blah. But Prague is the capital city that they are going to be heading to. Yes. Um, so Matthew 
being ever so helpful, has offered to help re-switch out the books for Dr. Yes. D. You know, just doing Dr. D a favor. It's not because they really need the book or they're desperate for the book. Matthew's just offering out of the kindness of his heart. Which we know is boundless. Although, I mean, the kindness of his heart is a great segue to the next scene. Yes. With another one with everyone's favorite, Jack. I love this scene. It's sad because Jack is having nightmares. But Matthew comforting him through those nightmares is, like, I don't understand how you can watch that scene and not just have your heart absolutely melted. I also really like that scene. It's very well, and I was going to say Matthew Good does a good job with it, of course, because we can't have an episode go by without that uncomfortableness. <laughs> um, he does a very good job with it, and so so does the actor playing Jack, obviously. I kind of am not... Oh, just after that, Diana has, when she's talking to Matthew, says something about them adapting to being parents. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if we get enough for you to be calling yourself parents. Because, like, being parents is more than than just, like, you know, giving someone a room. And I don't know. I didn't, I felt, that line felt forced to me. Hmm. Okay. I, I can see that, given how little we do get of Jack. But I think that's kind of what I was talking about before with the way that they cast Jack. Yeah. It makes it easier to see to understand kind of that progression, how they get from the pickpocket on the streets to Diana saying, we're parents of Jack. You know, you know, Matthew had just told him, you're part of our family now. Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I, it's hard. I don't know. It just sort of, I don't, wow, a sentence. You want more. Yes. I guess I just wanted to see more before like them being parents. Being a parent is like a huge thing. And a huge Mm -hmm. responsibility to take on. And I feel like the only things we see are them. We see like the easy parts of being parents, you know? Okay. I don't know. Anyways, cut to magic time. Uh, And magic magic time also means awesome hat time. Yes, it does. Goody also is. I'm sorry. Every scene that she is in is just amazing. I love her voice. Yep. But her presence in the room for someone so small and old it's just so commanding and captivating. The first thing she does is dismiss Matthew. She's like, you can go now. And he leaves. Yeah. I do. It's great. I do think both season one and season two really show that this, well, show is very, very good at casting older women. Mm, yes. Like we had that with um, Isabeau and Goody Allsop. And of course, we meet another very commanding older woman this episode. And mm-hmm. all three of them are fabulous and so good and again yeah all three of them like command whatever room they are in and yeah i really like that a lot um here we finally get to learn a little bit about what diana's been experiencing um we learn that the threads that she sees are the threads of magic of the world and that is the basis of a weaver's magic a weaver uses those threads to shape something new essentially And so the goal of this lesson number one is to figure out which of the four elements Diana has an affinity for. Um, And so she should be able to see the the color of the elemental thread that, you know, whichever one it is, earth, air, wind, or fire. Um, Diana sees all of them and can't grasp any of them. It's kind of a funny scene, except Diana kind of all out panics, which kind of tamps down the humor a little bit. Um, 
But Goody also has this amazing gleam in her eye as she's watching Diana panic. And we kind of get this idea that there's something more going on here before they cut away and don't tell us anything else. I do like both in this scene and the later magic scene, uh, the special effects look good. Mostly they do. I mean, if, if you're looking hard, you can tell that Diana's grasping for things that aren't there. But I think um, it's miles above anything they did in season yeah, one. Exactly. That's that's our comparison. So, yes, special effects look great. <laughs> and yeah, uh, uh, sort of along what you were saying there, Diana's at the end of that when she says, did I do something wrong? It's so sad. And I yeah, she's heartbroken. Yeah, I feel so bad for her. And I know we cut away and then come back to this. But later on, when she's talking with with Goody Allsop, not only about the did I do something wrong, but how, you know, she's she says something about the others not believing she is a weaver. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's a great scene because it really shows how much we don't get into it much in the show. We get into it way more in the book, but how, you know, she really disappointed her family when she was a kid mm-hmm. by not. you know, Well, she disappointed Sarah and by not having magic. And you can see how that still affects her. A lot because she she doesn't want to dis- disappoint Goody Allsop. Yeah. But Goody Allsop sees this in her. And so this is after we get a tiny scene with Kit and Matthew, um, which really doesn't matter. So I think we can really just skip that and come back to Goody Allsop's yeah, house. I genuinely don't even remember what they talked about. Um, Matthew asks him about Bohemia. Oh. We find out it's ruled by a madman. Kat tells him not to go. And then we're back to Goody Allsop's house. So it, it really it it. It, it is a skippable scene, I think. Um, but it's not the skippable scene I was talking about earlier. So. Okay. But, you know, we, we cut back to Goody Allsop's house when Diana, you can see she's frustrated. She's mashing the shit out of whatever's in that mortar on Oh, my God. Puzzle. Yes. I loved how she was just taking her frustrations out on that. And you can see, just like what you were talking about, Goody Allsop can see the frustration that she's carried with her her whole life of disappointing people and not wanting to disappoint them now. And Goody tells her she has to be kinder to herself. Yeah, so nice. And I think that's one of my favorite moments of this entire episode because nobody's told Diana that before. Mm-hmm. And having somebody see her potential and also understand that this takes time and patience and you need to give yourself that space is a great call out. Mark of a good teacher, too. Absolutely. Another mark of a good teacher is shameless ribbing because... <laughs> When she realizes that she can see all of the elements, that's what it is. And we get the flashbacks from season one of Diana using all of them, the witch water and the wind in the library and the fire against Juliet. You know, Goody also says, well, no wonder you're such trouble, but it's totally meant in a good natured way. Love it. Yeah. And again, that's that's when we find out that Diana is super special, which I'm sure a lot of people are bothered by. But it doesn't bother me at all because why tell stories about normal people? My life is incredibly boring. Right. <laughs> we read books to read about people who are different from us. And, of course, the protagonist is going to be super special. That's what happens. And particularly in supernatural fantasy thriller books. Yes. TV shows. So then we switch back to modern day. And we have M doing some magic secretly in the middle of the night. It's very similar to M secretly doing magic in the middle of the night in season one. Did she? She did. That's when we found out about the, um, that's how she found out that Diana and Matthew were together because she was doing the spell and we were really awed by all of the smoke and stuff and 
it made the shapes. Well, she was just out on the porch in the middle of the day, wasn't she? I thought it was in the middle of the night, but maybe it was in the middle of the day. Eh. They just, they felt similar to me, that's all. The, the, the way that they did the effects and the way that it looked definitely felt similar, yes. And then uh, at the end of her spell, she seemed to kind of get what she wanted out of it, which was communicating with Rebecca, but then was also terrified of it and quickly cut it off. Yeah, I wasn't sure... Was that Rebecca's face or was it someone else? Because she was frightened when hmm. someone came forth. And so she dispelled her spell. Uh, you know, now I'm unsure. But because she said Rebecca, I just assumed Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Maybe she just didn't expect it to work and it freaked her out when it did. Yeah. I can understand talking to the dead being a little bit like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, quick side note. I love how she lights the candles in this scene. Doesn't she? Just like her little... Her little wrist flicks for each one, and then she does both of them for the fifth one. Yeah, th- that was good, but, like, they were already lit. She just, like, made them poof up, I feel. Yeah, I, okay. She charged them, I guess, I guess, maybe. I liked it. I liked the whole scene. I love the actress who plays M. I think she does her fabulously, and, like, just every moment of her is great. Yeah, Valerie Pettiford is amazing. Yes, she is. And... In every scene that she's been in so far. And even because she has a lot of nonverbal scenes. Yes. She doesn't get a lot of dialogue, but she's still very commanding. Like her presence is felt even when she's not speaking. Yeah. And even the way that she moves when she's M. Because just from mm-hmm. Twitter, I don't know. I get the idea that Valerie Pettiford is very, very different than M. And I, so I just really, really like how she plays her. Yeah. Makes sense. And then we're back to 1590. And Lord Burley comes to call. He does. He wants to know why the queen has not been told about this marriage. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Burley implies that the queen is unhappy and no longer trusts Matthew. Mm-hmm. But Matthew is not bothered at all. Whenever there's scenes like this where things are like changing a lot and like Queen Elizabeth is meeting his wife, I, I can never help but think, man, when the other Matthew comes back, it's going to be strange and complicated for him <laughs> yeah yeah it is uh, and as far as i recall we just never even addressed that but okay um some of it is addressed in the books yes okay um we can chat about that later Sure. we get a great line from diana in this scene uh she says i never thought i'd be so desperate not to meet queen elizabeth yes oh yeah that's why burley is there to tell them that queen elizabeth wants them to come to court the next day Mm-hmm. And there's that's a good line, and I love Matthew's line where he says, "Queen Elizabeth trusts me implicitly. William Cecil cannot change that." And then he sort of pauses and he says, "Overnight, right? Yep." So he's not yet worried, but he knows that seeds have been planted. Yeah. So that's good. I his confidence is so amazing, and when you combine that with his vulnerability with Diana. Mm-hmm. It just makes him such a full character, and, and I enjoy it so much. Me too. Uh, but then he's mad at Kit. Again. Well, yes. But uh, I actually really dislike how they changed this bit, uh, because Kit did betray him in the book. And I think making him not be the one who betrayed him just makes Kit a lot more sympathetic than he actually is in the book. Mm, okay. And well, like it, it all sort of plays out very differently in the book because he didn't betray him. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't remember about this bit, but he did sort of spread rumors about Diana and get people wanting to kill the witch. I honestly don't remember. I I remember like the big things. Right. So like I know where Kit's story ends up, 
but I don't remember these smaller things. And I, I liked how this played out because we get Matthew saying there really is no one you won't betray for money mm-hmm. because he he realizes that he knows Kit differently than he thought, but he knows who Kit is. Kit really is an asshole. Mm-hmm. And then we find out he didn't betray Matthew. He bursts into Cecil's chamber and is like, no, you have to tell them, tell Matt that it wasn't me. And Cecil's like, this is trifling. I don't care. We both know that you would have eventually betrayed him anyway. And you should have because I'm paying you for this shit. Right? So we get a little bit more information about Kit's relationship with Cecil. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Kit is being paid to betray Matthew. Or at least to he tell secrets. didn't. Right. And, and it, just because he didn't in this moment doesn't mean that he wouldn't or hasn't. I do love that Christopher Marlowe runs to Queen Elizabeth's spymaster for help with his crush. Like, how did he think that that conversation was going to go? <laughs> I can't. Actually, you know, I didn't think of that. But yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine. Being... And Cecil's response is just like, this is boring. Yeah. Go away. Like, why Why is your personal life my problem? It's not. Yeah. Which is pretty much exactly what I would say in that situation. Yep. That's great. And then we have an, another small bit with Mary Sydney, which is fantastic. Yes. Because Diana needs clothes to wear to court. Mm-hmm. And Mary Sydney brings them to her. Like, it's great. Diana didn't have to ask for it. You know, Francois didn't have to, like, hurriedly have clothes made. Mary Sydney's just like, I got you, boo. More, more uh, evidence of her being Diana's best friend, I've decided. Yeah. I think that, yeah. We don't get to see a ton of them but I, on screen together, but I think I think Mary, every scene that we've had with them together has shown that Mary is a true friend to Diana. Yes. And side note, that flower necklace that she puts on Diana is gorgeous. I think I'm imagining five different necklaces that we see Diana wear now. But if I, if one of them is right, then yes. <laughs> Diana has a lot of outfits in this episode. She does. She definitely has gotten uh, a wardrobe since she has arrived yes. in London. And and they're all gorgeous. But yeah, I do think the, the necklace, I like the hairpiece that she wears that kind of matches the, the back part of her dress. I don't know what it's called. The bit that that's behind her head that's kind of in a heart shape mm-hmm. almost. And then she's got a hairpiece in that kind of matches it. I don't know. I really like that. We need an expert in Victorian fashion. No. Elizabethan. Victorian wouldn't help uh, us. Elizabeth. You're right. Elizabethan <laughs> fashion. That's what we need. What I do find interesting, actually, about the dress that Diana has on for court is that it's covered in the fleur-de-lis, mm-hmm. which is just an interesting choice to make because like there are some times when England uses the fleur-de-lis but mostly I associate it with France and like England doesn't like France right now for most of history right so I think that that was an interesting choice for the costume designer to have Diana wear to court Mary I don't know because the fleur-de-lis was a symbol of the royal family in France wasn't it uh, I don't know about the royal family, but it was, it's definitely mostly associated with uh, French heraldry. There is like one uh, noble English house that uses it on their heraldry, but one. Yeah, just one. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Most of, uh, okay. Uh, according to my very, very brief research today, but yeah, most of um, the fleur de lis history, it's associated with France. Even. Like, it's hmm. even used here in Canada, but I still associate it with, like, the French parts of Canada. Right. I don't think I noticed on her dress. Um, I didn't but that's until, like, I was fourth watch of this episode, so. 
I was paying attention to Matthew's collar. His rough. Like, oh my God, yes. Rough, that's what it's, it's called. It's so terrible. Oh, but I love it. In my notes, I actually wrote sure. down, this is what we've all been waiting for. Matthew in a rough. <laughs> it was interesting, for sure. Yeah. Like, his whole outfit here was what you would expect for going to court, but not attractive. Yep. I, I, I also wrote down, he makes the outfit work, but it is ridiculous. <laughs> true, true. I think it helps that his focus is not necessarily on the queen. It's on Diana. Mm-hmm. Like, he is comforting her before they walk in. He's reminding her the queen is still just a person. Yeah, she's the queen, but she's human. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to stick up for Diana and be like, well, I wanted her settled before we came. Like, his focus is on taking care of Diana. And that just makes everything else about it so good it is very good and i also love that both of them are smart and playing like five different games or roles or whatever while they talk (laughs) right like they're you know they're trying to prove matthew's innocence they're trying to prove that you know this wedding doesn't mean anything to his loyalty they're trying to get find out what elizabeth actually wants Plus, you know, arrange so that they have her permission to go to Bohemia and all these things. And that the witches are actually loyal. Yes. Like, there's a lot going on in this one conversation. And it's really good because you see how smart both of them are. Yeah. But we spend a surprising amount of time talking about the Philosopher's Stone, which is an interesting choice in this story. It was, it, if you're not familiar with where we're going in the book, I think that probably was unexpected. I get maybe just because the words philosopher's stone haven't come up yet in the show, but I mean it is a big part of alchemy. Like I would even say alchemy's whole purpose at one point in history was to find out how to create the philosopher's stone. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense from that point of view since they're talking about since alchemy is so big in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it went on for a significant amount of time in this conversation, and we find out that the queen wants to live for she doesn't want to live forever but she wants to take care of her country forever yeah and so she will live forever if she must <laughs> it's such a hardship uh it she's so good it was, it was a very good scene <laughs> like when she said yeah. that you you really believed that she that's how she felt about the country that it needed her mm-hmm. so by the end of the conversation it is decided that matthew and diana will go to bohemia to retrieve edward kelly for the queen because edward kelly apparently can create the Philosopher's Stone, which gives Diana and Matthew the ability to go retrieve the book. Or at least permission. I was, say, per- I was using permission and ability interchangeably oh, there. Gotcha. And that is an actual sort of, well, I don't want to say fact because the Philosopher's Stone is not a real thing. But Kelly, the real Edward Kelly did claim to know how to make the, the Philosopher's Stone and that sort of thing. Turn all metal well, into sure gold, etc. It helped him live forever. Sure. <laughs> um, we end the scene with an amazing shot of the queen. Yes. Like, I don't know who decided. Like, I, I have not paid attention to any of the cinematography, cinematography credits. But the final shot is as Matthew and Diana are walking backward out of the room. Because you don't turn your back on the queen. She's watching them with this, like, look on her face that's just very pensive. But the shot of her we get is through, I don't, do they call them ruffs for women too? Uh, it's not a ruff. It's like this big lacy collar thing. Yeah. Um, 
And and so you don't get her face clearly because it's through the lace. And it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah, it was really good. And I, I also really loved when they're showing Dinah and Matthew walking out. Because they're like, okay, go slowly, do what we have to do. But you can also tell that they're like, we did it. You know, and they're kind of giddy <laughs> yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. And then they're... Uh, they're back at their home discussing it, and for some reason they've chosen to sit on the floor, which <laughs> it's an odd choice. It's an odd choice, and I suspect it's cold, which I guess Matthew doesn't care about, but yeah. Diana probably does. Yeah, I I could think of no reason for why they would be sitting on the floor in their basically bed clothes. Like, why not just snuggle in the bed to talk about this? I do love how throughout this episode and the previous episode we do see whenever Diana gets home. Immediately comfortable clothes. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to stay in those heavy ass yeah, dresses yeah. for a long time. I do that with today's clothes, you know? <laughs> I come home and I'm like, a lot uh, of people do. It's daytime clothes or daytime PJs time. But this is still quarantine. So, like, all of my clothes are comfortable clothes. True. But I mean, before quarantine, when I came home from okay. work, I'd be like, uh, this jeans and sweater is just a little too much for me. Um, <laughs> Where's my flannel pants? Exactly. All right, so we find out that Matthew somehow thought Diana would stay behind in London while he went to get Kelly in the book. Has he met her? Well, I absolutely agree with what you're saying there, but it kind of makes sense just because she has magic training to do. And you can see that Matthew is just like, please just learn how to get us home. Please. I don't want to do this anymore. All right, that's fair. Yeah, no, that is 100% fair. But still, has he met her? I mean, he does sort of give in pretty quickly. He does. I mean, he agrees that he needs her. Yeah. But I think his desire for her to learn how to get them back home, like, just trumps everything else. Yeah. And so he was like, he had this tiny flicker of hope that she would just stay. Oh, and then she could stay with Jack. Oh, that'd be cute. But then we go to Goody Alsop's house and... So I have a question. These two magic training sessions that we see, why is mm-hmm. not Sophie there? Like what? that is literally a question I wrote in my like, my notes. I feel like her only purpose there is to have somebody sitting there bringing doubt to Diana. <laughs> like, why the fuck <laughs> is she there? I don't know. Because she's watching with this like absolute look of displeasure on her face. Yep. And she's just watching. She's sitting in a chair. She's not participating. It makes no sense. And you know when I talked about the scene. That yeah, I know exactly what sense. scene you're gonna bring up. It's the next scene where not Sophie is waiting for Diana and kind of apologizes, but doesn't actually apologize. And then Diana just leaves. And what did she say? I didn't write it down because I was like, the scene is nothing. But she says something like how it's all connected or, okay, you know what? We're getting ahead of ourselves. First of all, <laughs> Diana doing magic. <laughs> yes, Diana does magic first. Um, she ties her first magic knot. Because that's what you do with threads. Is you tie knots. Um she ties three knots. She's supposed to do four, but after three, she's so overwhelmed with power that she throws her hands up in the air and a magical tree appears. Now, they say it's a rowan tree, which for them, they say represents opposites coming together and blah, blah, blah. So I looked it up and there is a lot of like folklore mythology to do with the mm-hmm. rowan tree in a lot of different cultures. I'm not going to go into all of them, uh, but it's really interesting stuff. But within the British Isles, apparently the Rowan has a long and still popular history as a tree which protects against witchcraft. (laughs) So I thought that that was kind of hilarious. People carried pieces of the tree to ward off witchcraft. 
Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there's something on the berries that kind of forms like naturally a, pe- a pentagram. And um, so people have always thought that that wards off witchcraft and s- still used for that today. Well, it's also called the witch's tree. Yeah. Like like I said, there's a lot of different stuff from a lot of different cultures. I just thought that that, that one was really funny. The other interesting thing out of this scene is that we learn that soon Diana will likely have a familiar. Yes. And then we cut to the not-Sophie scene that doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't... She said something about how it's all intertwined or something. I I genuinely don't remember. And in the episodes I've seen, I don't think it means anything. So... Yeah, Diana says, well, if I'm so powerful, then why can't I do the magic? And... Not Sophie is just because everything is intertwined and you have to be patient or, you know, get to it in your own time or however she says. But she, again, brings forth this idea that everything's woven together, which Diana talked about last season and not last season, last episode. And which we get in, I mean, the very name of Weaver, everything is together. But nothing else is said. Diana literally just turns around and walks away. Yeah, And Matthew is magically there. I guess I can think of one thing that it might mean, but as far as I know, the show doesn't ever really bring that home, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't ever really mm-hmm. refer back to this scene. So, okay. I don't know. Okay. So, the scene that we have forgotten is now over. Yep. <laughs> it's such a quick scene. Um, we cut to Diana telling Matthew about her day when Matthew goes on very high alert suddenly because someone is coming. Mm-hmm. Who is coming Well, once we see him, it's obviously someone who has crossed over from another time travel show. (laughs) He touched those standing stones and just got confused, I guess. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's Galloglass, obviously. It is Galloglass. We have met him. I I Um, love that the first thing he does is pick up Matthew. Yes. Oh, their relationship is amazing. Um, I had actually forgotten that he was Matthew's nephew. Oh. I, I mean, I just, like, knew he was part of the family, right. but I had forgotten specifically that it was the nephew-uncle relationship. Galaglass is specifically there to summon both Matthew and Diana to Philippe and France. Yes, and Matthew looks so excited to go see his dad, right? This scene is hard to watch. Yeah. You know, okay, before we get into the emotional aspects of it, I do want to say Matthew says that Philippe has eyes everywhere, which I'm pretty sure is something this season alone has been said about Queen Elizabeth, Burley, and Hubbard. (laughs) So apparently everybody (laughs) has eyes everywhere. And I like to think that there's maybe five guys working for all of them, you know, who are just like, well, I'll just report everything to everyone, I guess. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, Emotionally, though, we get... God, we get this glimpse that it, this is going to be really, really hard for Matthew. The last time Matthew saw Philippe was on his deathbed after he was tortured by the Nazis. And Matthew can't even talk about it without getting choked up. And realizing that he's going to see him again is just devastating to him. I, like, he doesn't think he can handle it. Diana is trying to encourage him that maybe this is what was supposed to happen and this is going to help heal you. Yeah. And Matthew's like, no, it's just going to hurt. I know. It's interesting that he thought he could come back to 1590 and not see Philippe. Yeah. I think that is just like super wishful thinking. It's one of those things where you just tell yourself that thing enough times that you believe it, even though it's absurd. I mean, there's no way he was not going to get through this. But, but you know, they also thought they were only going to be there for a couple of days. They were just going to show up, get the book. Diana was going to learn magic, and they were going to go home. Yeah. 
this was not supposed to be a months-long thing. Yeah, that's true. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't care for the book that much the first time I read it, because I was in the same place they were. I was like, why are we oh. here for so long? What is happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, before this scene ends, we get my favorite, maybe second favorite line of the episode. It's so romantic. It's so romantic. Oh, yes. I love it. Um, Matthew's talking about how Philippe told him that, you know, when he finds the woman he's supposed to be with, it's just, it's destiny and you have to accept your fate. Mm-hmm. And Matthew says, but that's not how it works at all. He says, in every moment for the rest of my life, I will be choosing you over everything else. That is very good. And it is a line straight from the book. It's amazing. It's, I wonder how Teresa Palmer felt having Matthew Good say that to her. (laughs) Because it would make my little heart flutter. And I'm a married woman now. Well, so is Teresa Palmer. Uh, But no, agreed. It would, it would be. In watching scenes like that, you see why there's so many on-screen romances, or mm-hmm. like you know the actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it must be it's, tough oh, acting stuff like that all the time and not like oh, you know, and not feeling something yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah, it's a good line for sure. It is very good, and obviously Matthew Good does a good job with it. <laughs> yes, as always, as always. And then she has to go visit Goody to get her homework. Yeah, which and Goody is also frustrated that she is going to go on a months-long trip instead of training. So this is one area where Goody, Alsop, and Matthew are of the same mind. Yes, please learn your magic. Like, she kind of basically throws the knots at her. Like, if you at least don't forget to work on this. Um, but ultimately, she does accept Diana's decision. I guess that is kind of to, so- to not Sophie's point about... Um, how it's all connected, because that's kind of what Diana says here. She's like, I have to do this mm-hmm. for my magic. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Then we go to another scene with Jack, which is very cute. <laughs> it is. Matthew has a globe, and he's showing Jack all the places they're going to go on their trip. And Jack, of course, is he's so cute because he's like, I guess we're going to need good horses. Mm-hmm. And Matthew's just like, eh, no, you don't get to go. I'm sorry. Oh, poor kid. Yeah. I do like how, I mean, this happens every time when kids get left behind in shows and movies, but when somebody says, no, you have to stay here to take care of the adults, and and Diana says that she needs Jack to look after Francoise. Oh, did she? Yeah. Who is, you know, a vampire and an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like it. I didn't remember that because I'm so focused on the portraits. The portraits um, are nice. Because Matthew says, to, what Matthew says is that you have to look after these while we're gone. And so, like, he's in charge of the items. And so I think I just completely clocked out of the, you have to look after Francois. Yeah. I like that bit. And then, yes, we do see the portraits. Yeah. Yeah. Little miniature portraits of the two of them, which still, it still drives me a little bit crazy. I mean, I guess I understand it. I'd probably do the same thing if I was in their boat. But at the same time, I'm like, we know that these things didn't exist in the future, so they are actively changing the past. Well, I mean, are they, or did they just not quite find them in the future? Like, eh, that I it it's timey wimey. Yeah, it's timey wimey. Which I but they're beautiful. I will say, going forward with the time travel, I do kind of like how the show, or at least, oh, I don't know about you know, I don't know actually, because there are some things that I think. The story does well in both the book and the TV show, but then there are some things 
that are just like, well, I guess that's a mystery for the ages, how that works. <gasps> Time travel. Who knows how it works? Yeah. All right. Then we get Gallo Glass uh, kind of planning their trip a little bit. He's going to escort them part of the way. We find out he won't go to France, mm -hmm. which is why he won't go the whole way, um, which is just a very quick moment into Gallo Glass's life. That's really all we get about him personally. Yes. And I will say when they're in the boat, no, no, before the boat, before the boat, Gallo Glass says, Matthew will need you at Septur. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense for you to say. Why do you think that? This is just a dude going home to see his dad. You you have no idea that there's so much more going on here. That's interesting. I didn't think about it from that perspective, but I think you're right. Um, it fits into so many of the other things that people have said. Mm -hmm. Like Kit has said the same thing to Diana about Matthew. But Gallo Glass doesn't know that they're from the future, so it doesn't make much sense. And even if he did, he doesn't know that um, Philippe is dead in the future. Right. So, um, so, I don't know. What I took from this scene is that this is Gallo Glass has accepted Diana, and that's why he's telling her these things. And I think that's why I think it's an important scene to include, because this is somebody... Okay, for the person who has never read the book and is watching the show for the mm -hmm. first time, Gallo Glass's opinion doesn't matter yet. Yeah. <laughs> but for the rest of us, it does. <laughs> and that's why this scene is so good. I, I agree totally, and I do like the scene, and I do think that that's what they were trying to do, to show us that Gallo Glass is on Diana's side, um, mm -hmm. but I I just think that that line in particular, because he says some other stuff. He apologizes for being kind of standoffish with her at first, and blah, 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 mm -hmm. and I, I genuinely think that particular line they just put in to amp up some, you know, ooh, they're going to see a dead guy tension, but there's yeah. no reason for Gallo Glass to even know that. I wonder if it, if we're supposed to infer that Gallo Glass has also seen the changes in Matthew because of Diana and that the new Matthew does not resemble the Matthew who lived at Sator with Philippe. And so that's the dichotomy that he's talking about. Maybe. But I don't know if that's a stretch. I don't know. Don't know. Either way. But they get on the boat. We'll be in Sator. And yeah, they get on the boat and then we go to a present day boat. Yes, we are back in Venice. With everyone's favorite asshole. <laughs> and everyone's least favorite asshole. Fuck, I hate Gerbert. I hate Gerbert, but I love the actor. Oh, yeah. The actor does a fabulous job of it. But, like, Kit and Domenico, I kind of enjoy hating Gerbert. I'm just like, fuck off. Which is exactly what he says. He does. He tells Domenico to just fuck off. And Domenico's like, mm, nope, you are going to want to hear what I have to say. And he mentions about the dead body, and then he mentions something about uninfected bloodline in the De Clermonts. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And this information and further proof is going to help Gerber bring down the De Clermont family. Yes. And Domenico will give this information to Gerber for the low, low price of the city of Venice. I, too, would like to own Venice. Right? Yeah. So then I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Does Domenico own Venice now? Because there's no tourists there. Canal's looking pretty good. <laughs> Wait, did Domenico create COVID-19? I didn't want to actually say that because, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> I like it. Oh, head cannoning that. Yeah. And then, oh, they have this bit. Now, maybe I'm just being weird, but does it look to you like they filmed Domenico and Gerber at completely different times and then like layered them together because when they're standing both in the same scene with their faces pointing the camera 
I don't know. It just doesn't look like they're actually in the same room to me. I didn't notice, but I was also too busy noticing how close Domenico got to Jer Bear's face. Yeah. Um, and he was like almost whispering in his ear. And I know he was doing it because he was trying to be sly, but it just kind of came across as sexy. These two are lovers <laughs> or they want to be or something. Or they were in the past and then they had a bit yeah. of a spat. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, eventually you live long enough. You just sleep with everyone, right? Yeah, actually, I think so. Like, whether you're straight or not or whatever, eventually you're just like, well, what the fuck does it matter? I'm five million years old. Yeah, I think so. Gotta pass the time somehow. More headcanon. I like it. (laughs) And then we fade out to scenes from next week with another cover song over. Oh, yes. I have won. The visuals. This week. I found it. Yes. I Well, I found it, too. Yes. And now I don't... After you said you found it, I was like, I have to find it. Now I don't remember what it's I called. <laughs> oh, um, Silent it is, All These Years. Yes. Which is... Yes, Silent All These Years. It's a Tori Amos yeah. song. Uh, covered by Cat Leon here. Yeah. This was created to be... It's the theme song of something called The Gloaming. Like, this specific cover is the theme song of The Gloaming, which looks like a web TV series from 2020, actually. Oh, interesting. So I think it's interesting that both this other show and Discovery of Witches used it for something. Sorry, I just uh, Googled this TV show, and the plot keywords are ghosts and fish and chip shop. (laughs) That's hilarious. All right. So if those are your interests... uh... I mean, I like fish and chip shops. I I do, too. Before the end of this podcast, we will have found the covers for one and two. Absolutely. <sighs> and when we do, we will tell everybody and we will link to them. I just, but it's not going to happen before these episodes have been released. I just listened to so many bad covers of The Man Who Sold the World. Like, I'm sure Bowie turned over in his grave at those. Aww. There was like three different lullaby ones. What? Yeah. Anyways, let's not talk about it anymore. All right. That is pretty much the episode. Oh, 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 sorry. Another reason. So we were talking, or another thing, uh, in the, I don't know, I think the first episode, about why were they doing these, like, next time ons when it's all going to be streaming? Well, apparently, Sundance now is release, is streaming, but still releasing them week by week. Oh. Like Mandalorian. Okay. Well, that's good news for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Craft news for the people watching. Oh, okay. And in... In the UK, Sky is airing them week to week or streaming them. No, I think airing them week to week. But if you have... Okay, I know nothing about English television or British television. Whatever. If you have Sky. If you have you like Sky Now or something, yeah. they'll all be streaming at the same time. But they'll also be airing them week to week. Airing them week to week. Okay. And then good Deborah Harkness has said that eventually AMC is going to air them on regular television week to week. Uh, but she doesn't know when. Just sometime this year. Right. Okay. All right, shall we talk the book and future spoilers? Yes. So if you don't want to be spoiled, haven't read the book, go ahead and turn us off, and we'll see you next week. So I mentioned earlier that I loved that scene between Hubbard and Matthew, and I like it purely because it shows that like Hubbard does end up being an ally in present day, and so I like that they show him seeing that Matthew is 
a good person, you know, and he doesn't want to mm-hmm. be doing this shit and giving him a reason to be a friend. I'm mm, really yeah, planting seeds. Really looking forward to seeing Hubbard in modern day next season and what the actor does with that. I still I have a hard time with Hubbard because of Jack. Like Hubbard's the one who turned Jack, right? Yes. Yeah. That I I almost feel like that's unforgivable. I don't know. I the thing about Jack though is that he probably just wanted to see Matthew and Diana again. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So I don't think turning him is unforgivable. I think losing track of him and him falling into Benjamin's clutches is pretty yeah. shit. Yeah, that's fair. I have no idea what me writing parents here <laughs> was about. Shit. Probably Jack and Diana calling them parents and she didn't like it. You didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> man, I need to be nicer to myself about with these notes. Um, <laughs> parents. No, nope, I got nothing. We're going to skip it. Okay. Okay, but what I was saying about Kit and Diana. And so in the book, when they're in the old lodge... Uh, in Woodstock, Oxfordshire, he does actually betray them. He goes out and spreads rumors about Diana being a witch and, like, some priests and people show up to basically torture her and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Matthew, like, kicks Diana... Uh, kicks Diana out, jeez. Kicks Kit out. And then they pretty much go to Septura right away after that, so I don't remember if they see Kit again in London before he turns up with Louisa. Hmm. I really need to reread the book. Yeah, I'm I'm at Scepter right now in my read through, so hopefully Yeah. The show because of the way the show has streamlined everything, all of the storylines from the book are jumbled for me now. Yeah. Um and so I, I'm having a hard time kind of remembering how everything goes and specifically details with Kit. Like I remember the end when he shows up with Louisa, but the midpoints I don't remember. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why it didn't bother me that he's not the one who betrayed them in this episode. See, I think having him not be the one who betrayed them, but still having Matthew kind of kick him out of his life just makes Matthew look like a bit of an asshole. Well, no, because Matthew didn't know. Matthew believed that he betrayed him. I guess, but still. And the the thing about Kit in in the book, again, as far as I remember, he was just like an evil shit. He betrayed Diana, and then he gets Louisa there to basically murder and torture her again. And, mm-hmm. and like, there was no real reason for it. He was just a shit. And in this one, they... He loved Matthew. Well, no, I get that. He wasn't doing it out of love, though. He was doing it out of jealousy. Yeah. And he was... Like, nothing that he did was going to help him. You know, Ma- Matthew was... No, it was basically, if if Matthew doesn't love me, he can't love anybody else. Yeah, and that's shitty this kid is is different than that the show kid because he's not he's not being quite as evil yet yet we'll see how it shakes out i'm sure have you already seen has louisa shown up for you yes but they brought her in early like the torturing has not happened yet but while uh matthew and diana are off in bohemia and our scepters i don't remember exactly when it is we cut back to london and kit and louisa uh, meeting up i'm curious how they're gonna do that since they have set him up to not be super evil yeah you don't have to tell well me. i don't i don't know watch yet. it soon enough <laughs> okay okay louisa is basically shown as being super evil right away mm-hmm. 
which is great. I love her. Um, oh, and then I just wanted to mention that I think retrieving or promising Queen Elizabeth that they're going to retrieve Edward Kelly is uh, going to turn out problematic for them because they don't do that. How Did they do it in the book? No. Editing Caitlin interrupting here. Normally, I just let our mistakes go and we address them later. But I'm about to misremember the book in a huge way, and I just couldn't leave it without jumping in to let you know that I'm about to be very, very wrong about some book details. Uh, I realize it in a later episode and will correct myself then. Back to the show. Oh. Did they promise they would in the book? Uh, well, we don't know because we Diana doesn't meet Queen Elizabeth until after they come back from Bohemia. Um, oh, okay. In the book. So, like, Matthew had been meeting with her. So we don't know what he promised her or anything like that. Mm. Right. Okay. Fascinating. I love seeing the adaptational choices from a book to a TV show. Yes. Like, I am very glad that we got to meet Queen Elizabeth early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... I think all of the choices that they have made that are differences from the book have been good ones. Mm -hmm. And I think they had good reason for doing this. But it does raise questions about how they're going to do things in the future. Because we see cause and effect from this happened in the book, therefore this happened in the book. Mm -hmm. And so when they change the first thing, the second thing has to be changed too. And we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. There are some, there's a change in the next episode, in episode four, that I don't, I don't agree with. Is it episode? Well, it's some of the modern day stuff that they've changed that I'm like, how is that going to work? I don't mm. even know, but we'll get to that. All right. But did you have anything else? No, I think you covered it all. This parents thing is going to bug the shit out of me. Oh, oh, fuck. I know what it is. I'm an idiot. So them talking about being parents, I do think it's one of the things that they're doing to foreshadow them becoming actual parents or biological parents. Oh, right. And yeah, that's because it's why the first they... time they've talked about being parents at all. Yeah. And that's why they put that line in there. And it is one of the reasons why it felt kind of off to me, because there has been no other mention of this. No, no other foreshadowing to that. Nothing. And again, they're not putting in any like plot foreshadowing. They're just putting in this thematic foreshadowing. It's not the last time there will be some thematic foreshadowing of that. But mm. eh, I'm still kind of. Okay. I'm not feeling it. I think it's going to be weird. I also think it's going to be weird. Okay, great. I remembered. I feel good. And now we can wrap up. All right, go for it. So we would love to know what you think of season two so far. Tweet us at Desire Made Real. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And I'm Andy Kay. You can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Or you can give me a shout out over on Twitter at Mandy Kay. Join us next week when, as we talk about episode four, where we take a trip back to present day. And until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there is a new beginning.
So perhaps we should just cut all this out so that we don't sound like idiots. I like that. Yeah. <laughs>